This is a Rooster Teeth production. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a special supplementary bonus episode of Black Box Down. I had to pause for a second. I remember what podcast we're doing because uh, <laughs> multiple. yeah, Chris and I, uh, in addition to being here, we have a, a guest with us, uh, Blaine Gibson. Yeah. Not the Blaine Gibson who found part of Malaysia 370. Dude, that guy has ruined my social media. I've had to get <laughs> off of Twitter because of that dude. Uh, Blaine uh, is on uh, another podcast we do, which we taped an episode of this morning called Tales from the Stinky Dragon. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a Dungeons and Dragons podcast all about uh, D&D, obviously. And, yeah. yeah, Having fun. Comedy. If you don't know anything about D&D, you don't need to know anything about D&D to listen and enjoy the show. That's actually something we've seen so many comments and they're like, I don't know anything about D&D and I... I Actually, like it. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great introduction in the universe and a lot um, of fun. But also, a, I've been on the show before, haven't I? Yes, yes. But, yeah, yeah. But we're, we're specifically we're yeah. promoting Tales from the Secret Dragon right now because mm. it's also a great time to start that show because we're about to start uh, like a new campaign and a new mm -hmm. story. Yeah. So we have a complete one you can listen to, and then a new one that's about to kick off. And right now, uh, we are doing a little baby campaign mini, that's mini just campaign. like five episodes. And uh, normally, Gus is DMs it, and I'm DMing this little campaign. Yeah. So. It's also a really good starting point if you're like, I don't want to commit to something that's got a lot of episodes. It's only got five, so you could just, just easy time to jump it. in. Yeah. So it's definitely of one of our favorite shows that we make, and we definitely would love for you to check it out. Just Tales from the Sneaky Dragon. Anywhere you're listening. Where have you listen to podcasts? Yeah. If you like, if you like dry, dry airplane content, and then you want to hear these two, then switch gears into a kooky adventure-filled adventure. Adventure-filled Tal adventure. Tales from the Stinky Dragon. <laughs> Uh, but that's that. That's not what we're here to focus on in this episode of Black Box Down. Today we're gonna we're gonna be doing like like I said a uh, a bonus episode. We're gonna be talking about planes and aviation in movies. Yeah. Each of us uh, brought a movie to talk about, and we watched uh, we watched either the movie or portions of it to uh, to talk about what we saw. Yeah, what we saw, what what's realistic, what's uh, Hollywood uh, fantasy. I have about two pages of notes for mine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yours, is, yours is pretty airplane-packed. So, yeah. Uh, Gus, you brought the movie, the 1980 movie Airplane. Yes. And uh, Blaine, you brought the... Uh, 1985 Arnold Schwarzenegger classic, Commando. Classic. And then for my movie, I chose Final Destination from 2000, which uh, the whole plot is based off a plane crash. So I probably saw both Airplane and Commando around probably the same year, I would bet, when mm -hmm. I was a little kid, probably when I was like around eight years old. Final Destination, I didn't get to watch till many years later. No. It didn't come out till the year 2000. So yeah. I was, uh, I was, I was, I was an adult by then. Well, do y'all want to go in reverse chronological order? So start with Final Destination? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Final Destination, if you're not familiar, it's a, it's a 2000 horror movie where, uh, a group of teenagers are on a plane about to leave for uh, some. Uh, you think they're going to France? Field France, trip for yeah. France, yeah. And the main character, uh, David Devin Sawa, uh, is who plays it. Uh, he has like a a dream where he sees the plane crash, which we'll go into detail, and then wakes up, and then everything starts happening like he did in his dream. So he panics and makes everyone get off the plane, and then it leads to. Uh, when the plane crashes, they basically they cheated death, so death is out to get them. Yeah, and crazy things are happening. It's That's a very it's a very graphic, gratuitous <laughs> yeah. plane crash. I I, I rewatched it for this, like, oh yeah. wow, this is a uh, it's intense. So this is technically like the dream sequence part, but it starts with as as the plane takes off. I thought it was interesting. 
a group of people almost immediately lean back their seats. Yeah, and, <laughs> not, and, not allowed. And I was like, you can't do that. Oh, a lot uh, of people do that, but yeah. you're not supposed to. And then it kind of starts with like the you know turbulence, that kind of typical airplane right. movie sequence where it's like, doo, 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 and all of a sudden luggage starts immediately falling, mm-hmm. which doesn't. I, I, I think that's, that's the kind of thing. And the Final Destination movies are good at this where they'll start with like, they, they kind of build it up. Mm-hmm. And this, this, they start with the turbulence to put, I think, in your mind, like, oh, I've been in turbulence like that before. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, oh, what is it? You know, it really... They it, tether it, it to reality. Right. Yeah. And they make you feel like, oh, I've been in a situation like that. No, I, you actually missed a detail, Chris. Uh, the French teacher, when they reach the air, goes like, hey, puts his hands up in the air. Like they're on a roller coaster? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I would punch that guy <laughs> on an airplane. I would kill that man. But yeah, and, and, and even to play into that, it starts with the, the turbulence and shaking, but then it settles and everyone's like calm again. Yeah. Laughing. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, it's nothing. Yeah. And then, <laughs> I, I feel like they also do they do a thing when they're filming this crash sequence, Final Destination, where they keep showing like milk duds rolling on the oh, ground yeah. Yeah, to yeah. like show like how violent everything's well, no, moving. Which like, it's pretty clever. Yeah, you know, how, like you know, people are sitting down and like have seatbelts on, so you can't really tell. You can do but, the Star Trek thing where they're all like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> right? You see yeah. the candy on the ground. We're like, oh. And it, it also, I, I thought it was a good way of appealing to people's emotions, like. Something that people care about, like candy. Yeah, yeah. milk duds. And I was like, oh my God, the milk duds. Someone, oh my God, the wasted milk duds. It's yeah. it's so great too, like seeing the stuff that flies out of the overhead storage compartments. Like I think a guy just gets beamed by a by a stereo yeah. system, just <laughs> absolutely torpedoed in the noggin. Uh, uh, but um, I think you know that that would happen. Maybe not the stereo system, uh, but yeah, uh, that that would definitely be a fear. Is you know be, uh, overhead compartments opening up and luggage flying around and hitting you. Yeah, but. Yeah, so then stuff's going crazy, shaking. Suddenly, sparks light up in the middle of, like, the plane, like, where people are sitting, mm-hmm. and, like, next to the seats almost. Yeah. I don't know if it looked like it was coming from the luggage compartment. So I, I, I tried to figure that out, too, and I think they didn't fully connect it. I think, you know, earlier, the the passenger, when he first boards, he, like, rings the flight attendant call button, but mm-hmm. no flight attendant ever comes. And I think they were supposed to connect that maybe oh. there was a short circuit in that wiring that yeah. led to sparks that caused a fire. The lights definitely flickered, and they were doing stuff that was, like, kind yeah. of forecasting that there was, like, an electrical issue of some sort. Right. So then, uh, after the sparks, the, the walls and seats catch fire pretty quickly. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to step back here for a second. You're talking uh-huh. about the electrical systems. We have covered incidents before or i should say accidents before where uh you know there's different electrical systems on a plane there's Mm -hmm. like um low voltage and high voltage wiring and we've we've talked about before when the insulation wears down on some wires sometimes it's possible for high voltage current to arc onto low voltage systems the flight attendant call system and the lights like that would be a low voltage system so theoretically maybe you could get like a high voltage current arcing over to low voltage wires causing Mm -hmm. the kinds of electrical problems that you were seeing there but probably not to this extent. No, no, <laughs> yeah. no, 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 no. Yeah, no, no. so uh, I'll continue just quickly detailing what happens. A section of the plane with fire suddenly just like tears apart. Yes. Like it's on fire and all of a sudden just a hole a appears. Hole. <laughs> In the side of the plane. <laughs> out of the side of the plane. And uh, people are getting sucked out of their seats. Um, and then pretty quickly the plane starts to dive uh, down as people are being sucked out the hole. There are sparks in several other areas of the plane as it falls. And then it explodes. Right. Well, they're also like the the dude catches on fire, implying that like fuel got into the yeah, cabin yeah. or something, like, or the oxygen went or something. And then it later, the the guy wakes up from his like 
premonition, mm-hmm. and then he he freaks out, uh, gets other people all you know Riled excited. Yeah. They get into a fight. People get kicked off the plane. These are the you know main we've characters. All, we've all been there. You know, um, this this obviously happens before September 11th. Yeah, because yeah. they're like, you have to take the later flight now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You're not immediately blacklisted from the yeah, airlines. It's like, oh, with the, the like, you're not getting arrested, taken to jail. It's like, oh, you're gonna have to take. There's another flight to France in three hours. Yeah, you're gonna have yeah. to get on that one. Because the main character wakes up from his dream. It's like, everyone get off the plane. It's going to explode. Like, yeah. There's, and he's like freaking out, telling everyone there's like the plane's gonna explode. Dude, dude would be lucky if an air marshal didn't just take oh, him yeah. down right then yeah. and there. Um, they get kicked off, and then they're like yelling at each other out in the terminal and then the plane in the background explode like this is like full-on explosion giant fireball yeah. that then so powerful that it knocks the breaks the glass the shock wave yeah. you, you see the plane explode in the distance and then like a second or two later then the glass and everything <laughs> shockwave hits I like as a kid seeing that that was so cool and it, it felt realistic but how I'm, powerful I'm, would that explosion have to be to shatter all the glass that's like what that. I was wondering yeah, yeah. also also, that glass is probably tempered. Yeah. So it yeah. wouldn't shatter like that. And also, also, it exploded like there was a bomb. Yeah. It looks like, from that explosion, it looked like a bomb. I had been talking to Gus about this, too. And, and maybe it's like they're doing something with the passage of time, like when you're experiencing the thing as it happens in the, in the plane. Uh, it takes longer and stuff like that. But, like, the scene in the plane where the milk duds rolling around and all that stuff, it's like falling apart for, like, a minute. But mm-hmm. when you see the explosion... It just does it. Well, yeah, yeah he's pops. like, oh, there it goes. The plane's taking off. And then a few seconds later, boom, boom. Yeah. Boom. yeah. The, uh, I will say that we talked about the electrical failure. Um, and there's actually a video uh, I watched um, on Insider or something that had an a air accident investigation branch in the UK, someone who worked on it, who, who, who had a couple comments about this scene. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. And he, he was saying um, that electrical failures don't generally lead to explosions no, <laughs> or no. fireballs. Um, and like, I think he said like in his 35 years of investigating, he'd never, like n- nothing like that had ever No, happened. I think the closest you would get might be like TWA 800, which, were, which crashed under mysterious circumstances. We did an episode about it where it's possible that an electrical short circuit ignited fuel fumes mm-hmm. in the fuel tanks that caused an explosion. but. I think that's the working yeah. theory that's most widely accepted, but it's not it's the way that it happened in this movie is we not. Wouldn't yeah. Well, I wouldn't question that guy, that expert yeah. and you guys on this, but benefit of the doubt. I think they were setting up in a lot of ways that this airplane was a piece of junk. Yeah. And like that, like very possible that like fuel lines were ruptured or what have you, because like even I, at one point pulls the, the little switch for the, uh, the seat back tray. Yeah, yeah, the tray, the seat tray or whatever, and it just, like, pops off. Like, it's falling apart. And they also make the airplane look like total butt. Yeah, the <laughs> flaps are uh, are all dirty and yeah. squeaky. So, but, interesting thing about the seat back tray. That was, that was something I wanted to bring up about this. Oh. If the seat back tray doesn't work like they depicted in that movie, a passenger cannot sit in that seat. Yeah. Um, they would mark that seat as unavailable and then find a way to either remove or secure that tray so it can't be deployed down. Mm, duct tape. <laughs> yeah, they might use duct tape for that. Um, but yeah, the electrical failure would probably, maybe it might, this guy, the, the investigator, mm-hmm. he said, maybe it could smoke or something. Yeah. It might lead to some smoking or something or like, I, I meant like stuff not working, like yeah. the, the call button stuff, but the explosion. It, yeah, it would not explode. 
Yeah, and we've talked about this before that jet fuel by nature is not explosive. Yeah. It would, of course, catch fire. Um, it wouldn't explode. Fumes, like I did mention earlier, the fumes, the vapor could explode, but not the fuel itself. Yeah. We might have talked about this in the Black Box Down episode that I was on previously where we talked about plane stories, but I went on a Russian flight. It was Aeroflot. <laughs> Aeroflot. Yeah. yeah, and I was thinking about this movie. While I, was, <laughs> I was looking around. I was like, this is the biggest hunk of junk airplane I've ever been on. The engine looked like it was like going to wobble itself off. The, the other thing um, that w- would in real life would probably happen is they would pass out from... So I actually had, I, I took exception to this. This is one of the things I wrote down. Uh, when the crash is going on, the oxygen masks deploy and, mm-hmm. you know, everyone, and you know, when the, the side of the plane opens up, it decompresses and people fly out. This plane isn't very high. There would be no need, one, there'd be no need for oxygen to deploy. Two, the pressure differential would not be so great that there would be a decompression like that and people would get sucked out. Mm. They, they were definitely under 10,000 feet. It just happened right after takeoff. They probably were only, if I took a guess, three to 4,000 feet above the ground, if that. Well, I guess... It's, it, it, it looks it, dramatic. Yeah. In, yeah. The, in the... Uh, in the... From the airport uh, perspective, it seems like they're not very high up at all, but right. if you if you watch the the premonition, the first version of the scene, they seems like they'd be a lot higher up. Right. Because they, you know, you see them take off, they go up, then there's turbulence, then they... Su- like that seems like but it, be- it's still not even that high. Like if you think about it, you know, when you're in the plane, like let's say you're a passenger on a plane, even getting to 10,000 feet where you hear the ding, mm-hmm. where you can recline your seatbelt, that takes 20 minutes maybe mm. yeah, uh, to get to that point. You know, they're definitely, they're, I, I will say they're definitely under 10,000 feet. Okay. So there would be no need for uh, oxygen masks or any type of decompression like that. I also noticed on the oxygen mask things, those things deployed. And I feel like there's like a reservoir like bag filled with air or something or with oxygen or something, but they were all deflated. Like, was that inaccurate? Did you notice that at that, all? That's possible that it wouldn't inflate uh, depending on the pressure you're at. Sometimes it would inflate, sometimes it wouldn't. They were low, so I think not inflating would be correct in this case. Okay, all right. Um, I think it was probably lazy filmmaking, but it just happened to yeah. be what I think was at, factual. At a higher altitude, it, it's more likely to uh, inflate. Is it kind of like the same effect like you buy a bag of potato chips and you take them up to the Rocky yeah, Mountains I, and it I was fills thinking up? That. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. It's always weird. You're like, you have a a bag of potato yeah and it just like you, it also it also happens on a plane you know if you, if you buy a bag of potato chips in the terminal before you take off and don't open it once you and wait till you get to cruising altitude it's really filled with a lot yeah. of uh, airplane a lot of bottle, or air. water bottles are the same where it's just like like all bloated mm-hmm. yeah i think there, there are rules when it comes to flying about when if you're in a, a like a non-pressurized plane there are rules about when you have to use oxygen or when you have to supply it to passengers. And I want to say a pilot does not have to use oxygen unless they spend more than 30 minutes above 12,500 feet, then they have to use it. Uh, then at once above 15,000 feet, they have to use it the entire time. Then they have to make it available to passengers. They don't have to force their passengers to use it. They just have to make sure it's available. Uh, so you can, you can go pretty high without mm. needing oxygen. So all that to say, under 10,000 mm-hmm. feet, they definitely, those oxygen masks would probably not have deployed. So I was going to say, I've been uh, skydiving before, mm-hmm. and we went up high, but not like 747, like commercial airliner high, but we never had to use, yeah. you, know, you don't use oxygen. We've both been, we went yeah, yeah. skydiving together. Yeah. Um, and you're just 
in the cockpit. You know? yeah. It's like whenever you fly your yeah. Cessnas and I stuff. guess I wasn't thinking about breathing. I was just thinking about falling, jumping out of, <laughs> <laughs> out of a plane. Um, I had a few more nitpicks okay. about this movie. Um, I, I was impressed. They, they board the plane and mm -hmm. you can't really tell what kind of plane it is. It looks like a 747 from what you can see based on like looking from the terminal. Um, they go, they go into the plane and the interior when they're filming it, dual aisle plane, just like a 747 would be. And the economy class is laid out in a 343 seat configuration, which tracks with how the, the interior most likely would be with a 747. Mm -hmm. However, when the main character is walking down to his seat, he sits down and you can see there's a wall right behind him indicating he's like in the last row of the plane, uh -huh. but he's in row 25. Oh, yeah. A 747 would go to like row 50 or 60. Well, okay. So, and I've been on planes. Don't they have the bathrooms? Right. But they show from another angle that there's a galley right there and there's a wall. If like, I had to, It's the very back of the plane. If I had to take a guess from a production standpoint, if they were going to shoot in that middle thing, either they didn't have the set built for that or they didn't want to fill the back with extras. That, I guess that's what it is. That, yeah. yeah, I bet. Yeah. Uh, like, they, they, they could keep the set smaller and then not have to pay so many extras to do that. Yeah. Um, also, uh, he reaches up to, you know, he's nervous uh -huh. about the flight and everything. He reaches up to turn on his air, the little air vent, but he turns it to the right. Oh, right. Tidy lefty loose. Exactly. It's the oldest trick in the book. He turned it the wrong way. Hey, you're I really wonder, watching this with like I a wonder, microscope. <laughs> I wonder if they like... Listen, I'm going to ruin any airplane <laughs> in the movie for you like it's ruined for me. I wonder if... I, I, actually, I didn't notice that. I wonder if it was like reversed or something. He actually doesn't even touch it. He just puts his hand up there and acts like he's touching it. Oh, weird. Oh. Uh, and then they add the sound of the... <laughs> oh. Yeah. Why didn't... That's, that's weird. Because you didn't notice. I, you're, yeah. not, you're not like me where an airplane ruins a movie for you. <laughs> The center overhead bins were props. Like, they didn't look like they could open and hold anything. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. uh, the overhead bins on the side, appropriate size. The ones in the center, way too small, especially for a 747. <laughs> I, I can't get the vision out of that dude getting beamed There's with that so, stereo. I watched it a few times. It's so funny. <laughs> it's Because it's such a weird, oblong-shaped radio like they used to do in the, the early 2000s. <laughs> Just... Sorry. Uh, yeah, and then some of the other stuff we talked about, the flickering lights, the oxygen deploying, the fire in the cabin. Then another, oh, the, the glass shattering in the airport. Mm. Uh, then one, one final thing that I thought was strange was after the dream sequence, when the main character wakes up and he starts screaming, plane's going to blow up, we mm -hmm. got to get off, whatever. And then like they restrain him and take him off the plane. The cabin crew person who takes him off the plane uh, and who's there with the police uh, is wearing like a pilot's uniform, but has only one stripe on his shoulder. Oh, the guy with the oh. like, really, really cool hair. Did he have cool hair? I don't remember. There's a guy that had like bangs. They're like really like middle part long. No, that wasn't him. Okay, I don't think. sorry. Uh, and then uh, he's the person who uh, the teacher's like, one of us has to be on the plane. Yeah. Uh, they're going to France. He's like, okay, only one of you. And then like he turns around and walks back on the plane. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a pilot. Right, but he only has one stripe on his shoulder. So, okay, so that's just a uh, Four stripes is a captain. Uh -huh. Three stripes is a first officer. Two stripes is not really used anymore. Typically, it would be like a navigator or a second officer. Uh -huh. One stripe, I think that's like a pilot in training. Or maybe, depending on the airline, sometimes a flight attendant might be allowed to wear one stripe. It's just a very weird huh. costume detail that they added. Yeah. And I don't know why they only gave him one stripe. And he did claim it's my flight. Right. So it was implying he was the yeah. captain. So that little bit of trivia for you, if you don't know that, if you ever see a pilot... Uh, four stripes, four you know, gold stripes means that they're the captain. And then three, I salute them. Right? Yes. Okay. Three, also, three means first officer. I would also imagine if whatever he, he like goes with them off the plane, I would imagine security would just take them off. Yeah, he goes off with them along with the police, I yeah. believe. And yeah. the, they're there. 
And then what I thought was crazy, just well, that the pl- I, I would imagine if someone did this, would the plane even take off at that point? Yeah, I think you so. think there so? might be if delayed, someone yelled, it's that. gonna, it's really, yeah, yeah. And you, you can't. There's no accounting for that. Some other people may have also walked off the plane. People who are nervous flyers, yeah. uh, I imagine that would probably happen. But yeah, the plane would definitely. Well, they did have one person. Uh, th- That's th- true. They had one one of the girls. Um, the, the one that the the girl that carries the remainder of the franchise. She's in like every oh, other Final she? Destination <laughs> movie, I think. Yeah. Um, and then. Afterwards, after it does explode, they're like getting interrogated by the FBI. Which it, oh, I forgot that element. Yeah, yeah. Which I just thought was they were like he's like I just had a dream or felt like it was gonna you know got nervous and he and they I guess he just they just let him go. <laughs> I don't know what they can <laughs> do, is, but I feel like they would like arrest him or something. Again, this movie took place before For, September 11th. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so different, different world, different time. Well, what would, what would the timeline of the investigation look like? And would they release him from custody? Would they even take him in? Like, what would that even? They would probably, you know, the FBI would question him. Uh, the NTSB would come out to do their investigation. They'd probably want to talk to them fairly quickly. Mm. Uh, I, you know, depends however long it takes the NTSB to get there. I assume within the next 24 hours, he, he would be expected to be interviewed by, uh, actual, uh, accident investigators. Not for criminal prosecution, but for, you know, uh, accident out. investigation purposes. Yeah. Well, it's a fun uh, little horror movie. Very, very kind of 2000s oh, absolutely. cheese. Yeah. But the glass shattering, it's like my favorite part of the, when I think of Final Destination, I think of the plane exploding, the shockwave, and then the glass exploding. But then I was also thinking about like those, that glass has to be super thick because it's resisting like airplane engines right, yeah. running and noise and you don't really hear it outside so that's like heavy duty glass there's no right. way it would have exploded all the vibrations that it has to yeah. Uh, yeah. stand up to that would have to be like a, like a nuclear blast in the sky for it to go like really close yeah ruined this episode of Black Box Down sponsored by Better Help Getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process. I think a lot of us can remember feeling like you had everything figured out by 18 or 20 only to later look back and feel like you actually knew nothing about yourself at that time That feeling doesn't only come up in early adulthood because we're constantly growing and changing throughout our entire lives. And therapy can be a great tool for gaining a deeper understanding of yourself no matter what stage of life you're in. Because sometimes we don't know what we want or why we react the way we do until we talk through things. Therapy can also be a great tool for learning positive coping skills, learning how to set boundaries, and empowering you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option that's convenient, flexible, and entirely online. Plus, you can choose sessions that are suited to your schedule, so you can fit it in wherever works best for you. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire, get matched with a licensed therapist, and if you want, you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. So discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash down today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash down. If you think an e-bike can't handle your haul, think again. Whether you're hauling groceries, gear, or even an extra passenger, the all-new Expedition e-bike has you covered. This new cargo e-bike is designed to carry more so you can do more and enjoy the fresh air in the meantime. Uh, I love this uh, the Expedition uh, bike. I've got one myself. You fit so much cargo on the back. It's got so many great features. It's super convenient, amazing range. You can go real fast, and if you're a lazy bum like me, you can let the electric motor do all the work. I find myself looking for any excuse possible to use it. 
I think this bike's amazing. It does everything I could possibly want from it. So whether from quick store trips to outdoor adventures, electric e-bikes will transform how you get around. Electric e-bikes also cost way less than the competition with quality feature-packed models financed as low as $133 per month. They include a powerful removable battery, a bright LCD display, seven-speed gearing, and five levels of pedal assist to power your ride. Plus, you can lower your gas costs and reduce your carbon footprint. Electric e-bikes are also customizable and adjustable to fit your lifestyle. Best part is, once you've decided on the perfect e-bike for you, shipping's free and it's delivered to your door fully assembled. I cannot stress that enough. You just unpack it and then it's already assembled. You don't have to worry. You don't have to bust out tools. You just unfold it and it's ready to go. You don't have to take my word for it. There's a growing community of over 250,000 dedicated riders on the road so far. Right now, you can check out the all-new Expedition Cargo e-bike from Electric. Visit electricebikes.com to learn more about the Expedition Cargo e-bike and all of the other sweet models Electric has to offer. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-Bikes.com. Hey, everyone. Did you know this year is Rooster Teeth's 20th anniversary? That's right. Whether you've been with us for 20 years or 20 days, we couldn't have gotten here without your support. So to show our appreciation, we're making 20 special anniversary episodes from some of your favorite shows to celebrate our 20-year history. Best part is, they're all mystery surprise videos. Every Friday, a mystery video will be available on roosterteeth.com just for first members. And the title of the video will be revealed on Saturday and then made available for everyone the following week. Uh, We love giving out surprises, but we couldn't keep everything secret for the whole 20 weeks of anniversary episodes. So to kick off our anniversary, we'll tell you what four of the episodes are going to be. So get excited for new special episodes of Rage Quit. I think that one actually just came out. Chump. Master and Apprentice, and Camp Camp. That's all you get for now. So, well, I guess you also know that Awu was the first one, but that's it. So tune in to roosterteeth.com every week to see what the other episodes will be. Maybe your favorite series will return. Maybe it won't. Hey, only one way to find out. So again, we're so thankful for your support these last 20 years. We hope that you're as excited as we are to see the return of these awesome shows. Well, shall we jump to uh, Commando? Commando. Let's party. I loved this movie when I was a kid. I uh yeah so that's not arnold schwarzenegger that's blaine sorry <laughs> yeah, so yeah, knows. Uh, we didn't get special guests arnold schwarzenegger uh yeah this was like knee-jerk reaction i was like okay you guys asked me beyond what can i do what's what's a schwarzenegger movie and then i was like oh commando yeah it's actually so basically what happens is the plot of the movie is uh there's this guy he's like a retired uh commando no he's like a colonel or something like that he's like uh-huh. higher up in rank and he used to lead this team of special forces dudes and at the beginning of the movie they all get dead and uh, <laughs> and and then this dude shows up to his house. He's like, ah, John Matrix, they're they're after you. Long story short, they take his uh, John daughter. John Matrix is Arnold Schwarzenegger. John Maker, yeah. They take John Matrix's daughter. They kidnap her, and then they say, we need you to assassinate uh, a leader in this foreign country who trusts you. And then we're gonna stage a coup. Uh, and you're the only guy that we can trust to go in there and kill him. And if you don't do it, we're gonna kill your daughter. So they kind of set a ticking clock, which I thought was actually pretty brilliant for like a whatever 80s action movie where um, they put Arnold, John Matrix, on an airplane to go to this foreign country. And it's an 11 hour flight uh, and he needs to escape the flight because he wants to go save his daughter because he doesn't trust these guys. He knows he's going to kill their, his daughter. So um, played by Alyssa Milano, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is a weird cast. So they uh, he escapes the flight, which we'll get into. Uh, and then it's like the ticking clock is when the flight is going to land to on the other side, they'll realize that John Matrix is on the loose right. and that they need to kill his daughter because he, you know, he's going after them or something. Right. Um, so, yeah, basically, uh, after all the kidnapping and all this stuff, they've got John Matrix held hostage and uh, he's like being escorted around by all these thugs 
and there's this one thug who is going to be with him on the airplane. So they didn't want to spring a lot of money for extra tickets. So <laughs> well, I only bought one. <laughs> well, yeah, but also like, okay, really quick, stepping out of this. I don't know. We'll get into it later. So uh, they board the airplane. Uh, they sit down. And then, you know, Arnold's like looking at the window and in the door. And he's like trying to figure out his escape plan. And uh, he subtly kills this guy by breaking his neck and then covering he, up. He like elbows him and then breaks his neck. Yeah, yeah. He he asks the flight attendant for a blanket and a pillow. She leaves. He like elbows him, knocks him unconscious, then breaks his neck, then props him up against the corner of the window with the pillow and the blanket and then puts his hat over his head. And then, of course, he says to the flight attendant, don't wake up, my friend. He's dead tired. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I also, was, the fact that they they put that one dude to like, to keep an Arnold. eye on Arnold Schwarzenegger, like that guy, he yeah. yeah, he would last about as long as he did in the movie, right? But also, he he made him get the window seat, and Arnold was the row seat, which I thought well, like weird strategy. Also, when they board the plane, I'm glad you say this. When they board the plane, the flight attendant tells Arnold, "Seat seven A." Yeah, your friends in seven B. But then the guy who's watching him sits in seven A, leaving Arnold <laughs> in seven B. Yeah, like the, the the tickets that they were given were the correct were the safer way. I also like that when they're boarding, they're like, uh, do you have any, uh, do you have any baggage? And he's like, uh, just him. <laughs> he's like, pull that again. I'll staple your mouth shut. Uh, so it kills the guy. Um, he, the plane is already taking off at this point. So then he goes to the back and he tells the flight attendant that he's about to poop his pants. Uh, and then he goes into the, like, would, I guess the service elevator. They would have stopped the plane at that point. Were they really? Passengers cannot be up walking around. Okay. Well, that's, uh, the, he says he's air sick and they're still on the ground. Which I thought was a really so stupid, so, so dumb. <laughs> yeah. So then he takes this cargo, like I guess, service elevator down into the 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 bottom part of the uh, the airplane fuselage. Uh, opens up a door. There's a big barking dog in the uh, the cargo lockup, and it starts barking at him. Which, if you're gonna lock up your dog on a flight, like don't 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 take don't take your dogs on flights unless you have like a little seat for them. Yeah. Don't don't put them in the cargo. I hole. saw an Instagram video the other day of a. Like a golden retriever asleep in first class. Like someone got a ticket for it. It's just like, hey man, laid out in a bed, taking a nap. Like, do it, do that. <laughs> don't, don't, your dog's not baggage. He, don't wake my friend. He's dog tired. He's dog tired. <laughs> so he, he journeys his way back and then he reaches this like rubber wall. And I actually want to talk to you about this. He, it's like, I guess, a, is it a pressurization thing? Yes. I was actually, this is one of the things I wanted to talk about. So he, Arnold puts his arm through this like rubber, uh, like door thing, and he rips it open. Did you read what the door said? Do not open. Do not open during flight. And he's opening it during <laughs> flight. Uh, then he, because he opens this thing up, he gets access to the landing gear, and the landing gear hasn't gone up into the plane yet. It's still taking off from the runway, so then he climbs down, and then he's like going however fast it is for an airplane to take off, and then he jumps into a marsh at the end of the runway, and he's fine. He's fine. Uh, the uh, I, I I looked this up. the the plane The kind of plane they're on is a DC ten. Mm -hmm. uh, rotation speed, which is the speed at which they begin climbing, like they begin taking off, like leaving the runway, is about one hundred sixty six knots, which is one hundred ninety one miles an hour. So Arnold takes a one hundred ninety one mile per hour jump. Like, and and at this point, they show the plane up in the air, and I know it's all visual effects, and it's not. They didn't actually do this, but when he jumps off the plane, it's probably a couple hundred feet in the air. Right. So he's going minimum 200 miles an hour <laughs> yeah. from a couple hundred feet in the air and then just kind of like lands in a marsh and just kind of brushes yeah, it yeah. off. Yeah, he lands in some bushes and, and some he, water. Yeah, and he's pretty high up. 
Yeah. Like, but also, it's, <laughs> it's, and he just kind of, the way he falls, it looks, it's just kind of like, Ugh. it's like if you were to make your body into like a C shape, like you're like <laughs> yeah. going full speed into the, your couch or something. Um, but yeah, the, the shot, the wide shot where he lands in the marsh, it's so ridiculous because it's clear that they have like a ladder or a crane just <laughs> off frame and that's what he jumped off. There's no real speed. Yeah. Cause I mean, the guy's coming down with force and then he's just like, oh, like just floats <laughs> to the ground. Uh, also, that's filmed at LAX. That was LAX airport. There's mm-hmm. no marsh around there. <laughs> yeah, I don't like, know where the water would have like, been. Yeah, you might fall onto like a, a, a freeway. <laughs> is there not though? I mean, okay, think about it. This is the mid 80s. And I know that they have like all those like oil fields and, and stuff out there. Did none of that surround that area? Has it changed? A marsh though? No, that, that's yeah. like... It was like Florida or something. Well, I, yeah. I know the, the area you're talking about. That's like a little north of the airport. Um, I believe they were getting to South America for this assassination. Yeah. So most likely they would be taking off and then turning down to the south away from that. So, and they're still going to be really close to the airport, even if they're only a couple hundred feet off the ground. It would be like immediately that area right around there. Because doesn't yeah, don't you see the airport still right right in the background when after he jumps? Yeah. Out well, no. When he gets out of the marsh, he then runs through the airport and then he runs into a flight attendant yeah. and the other and Sully, who's another character. Uh, so he's like in the proximity of the airport still. Yeah, so it's still, that would be really cl- oh, close to the airport. That's my other favorite part. He jumps out of this plane going like high speeds, gets onto the runway, and then he runs back to the terminal. There's a dude just running around LAX yeah. ter- like <laughs> runway. Planes are like like a hundred feet away from him and he's just like jogging in like he's doing the worst stealth job ever. I mean, let's be honest, like Arnold would be a terrible spy because he sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah. A big muscular sore thumb. Big <laughs> lumpy sore thumb. Um, but yeah, so then he gets back into the airport. But uh, something else that I think you commented on is they get in on the airplane on the, like, the if you're facing the airplane, the left side. Correct. They get in the airplane opposite from where you, you would board. normally board a plane. They right. get it from, like, where the truck would load the galley. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, and then they cross and then she tells them seat 7a so they cross across the entire plane to the correct side Uh and seat but i think you know when they should have probably boarded right behind where they were sitting and i the only thing i can think is again it's like a filmmaking thing where they wanted arnold to be able to look over his right shoulder and keep an eye on the door Mm -hmm. that was closing it definitely felt like they were trying to prevent jumping the line uh when you're filmmaking to you know make continuity make sense there's like a line that you kind of establish and you don't cross that line the camera doesn't cross that line because then it's just like oh where am i geographically so like it was between between that and then i think also like maybe the airplane they couldn't get like the actual terminal connection or maybe they did but they couldn't film that so coverage wise it made more sense for them to have a stairwell from the there was probably also just maybe a set for the interior mm-hmm. sure um but it's still it's it's weird it might have been a coverage thing maybe the other side of the set didn't look as good yeah. or they're like we want to film on this side and i don't know the the elevator well before he's the elevator <laughs> him breaking his neck that dude's neck he rocks yeah their entire row of seats you're telling me that no one noticed that guy just get rocked their, their back is up to like the galley or a bathroom though. Uh-huh. So there's like nobody sitting right behind them. But it cuts hey, to a wider that's, shot. That, that's, that's a noticing a, a, a theme here. <laughs> it's just easier to shoot that. <laughs> yeah, they're always up against the wall. Yeah. yeah. 
But there's like it, sh- it cuts to a wider shot after he breaks the dude's neck, and it's like this like older couple, but like not old enough that they can't hear. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and they just they just don't even notice that Arnold just broke a man's neck. He could have at least like fake coughed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, sorry, my but, my drink opened. Oh, a- oops. Uh, but yeah, the elevator though is that like, what was, I mean, I don't and Gus, you know better, but like those aren't accessible to. If they're, I've never heard of an elevator in a plane, but they wouldn't be accessible to just anyone. This right? is something I wanted to bring up and talk about. This deck galley that they show for this plane is incredibly authentic. Really? I think oh. that they actually did film, going back on what I said earlier, I think they actually did film on a plane. I don't think it's a set. Uh, because uh, I've never been in the deck galley, but I looked up photos of the deck galley for a DC-10, and they it looks just like that. Either they made a set look identical how it should look, or more likely they actually filmed in the plane um, because in this plane, this, this was the level where they would heat up and prepare the food and then put it onto a cart and then take it up oh. to, uh, to serve to everyone else on the plane. Uh, and there were avionics in there as well. This, this deck looked exactly how it did in real life. Wow. Uh, I didn't know. So they actually have elevators? The, the, the DC-10 did. Yeah. I knew that there's multiple floors, but yeah, I always assumed that it was stairs is how they access yeah, some, them. Some planes do have small elevators, uh, depending, you know, what you need to do. But this one was this one was very authentic. I, I guess, like, like footprint-wise, an elevator would make more sense than stairs or a ladder. Because, like, ladder, then you get into accessibility problems right. for crew and stuff. Especially but, if you're moving carts. Uh, carts, that makes perfect sense why they would have it instead of an elevator then. Or yeah, a, a staircase. Uh, also, the, uh, the the thing you talked about, that do not open during flight seal to yeah. get to the landing gear. Again, I've never been in the internals of a DC-10, but based on the fact they were shooting inside the deck galley, I'm going to bet that they were also filming uh, around actual uh, landing gear. It mm-hmm. looked very authentic to mm-hmm. me, uh, what I did see. Not that I know much about the DC-10 innards. So I bet that was some kind of pressure seal well, when they were at altitude. So... Okay, but thinking back though, he's on the front of the airplane. Mm-hmm. So then, but the way that they shoot it, it makes it look like he's going back. I thought, maybe he, went towards, to the, I thought he went to the back of the plane. Yeah. When but, he was to the bathroom. Right, but okay. So I think that's why they, they came, they boarded the direction they did so that he could have a place to go when he. Well, so they board near the front. He goes to the back takes the elevator down so i guess it's assumed that he then journeys back to the front of the plane to get oh on i assumed the front it looked landing like he was gear. like going back further to the back yeah or but i think he's on the front landing gear. he might have gone back only to the middle of the plane then got down there i don't yeah. know where the where the service galley elevator was on yeah. the dc-10 uh, so he might not have gone all the way back so okay but either way though he rips that thing that says do not open during flight right. that would have caused a pressurization thing and that would have alerted the cockpit right well so either one of two things either he caused a crash or uh, <laughs> it's oh. like he's like like walking away like ha, 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 and then <laughs> the plane explosion. explodes like in final destination <laughs> uh, or more or more likely it just causes warnings to go off in the cockpit that the plane's not pressurized and correctly then they would have landed the plane promptly but discovered there's a dead body (laughs) well spoiler alert later on they actually do land the plane and then there's a couple of other thugs to meet them at the end of the flight and then they oh god they did this guy so dirty they pull a uh the the body bag open or a blanket that's covering the dead body and he looks like a ghoul like they painted him gray and he's like he looks horrifying uh but they make the they make the trip yes without issue right aside from escorting a dead body um so this specific plane was a DC-10, like I said. Uh-huh. Um, and it this 
plane that they filmed the exteriors of and presumably the interiors in um, uh, was operated by an airline called Western Airlines, which ceased operations in 1987, two years after Commando came out. Uh, it got folded into Delta, uh, Delta Airlines. And the plane that they used for this was delivered to Western Airlines in 1973, got sold to American Airlines, or gets transferred to American Airlines in April 1985. So presume this was probably towards the end of Western Airlines using it when they filmed it, and then transferred it out to American Airlines. Then American Airlines uh, traded it off to FedEx in June of 1999. Are you talking about this specific? This specific plane. This, wow, you tracked down the I, specific plane. This is the hell I live in. <laughs> <laughs> I need to know. Uh, FedEx never actually painted this plane or flew it. They just bought it for parts. And oh, they okay. cannibalized the plane for parts for just other like, DC tents that they operated. Yeah, like I wonder a, if they ever recognized This back cockpit thing was torn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a dead dog in the cargo hold. Uh, haunted uh, by a thug from uh, this, whatever. Um, wow. Okay. Okay. Lots so, of times in, in movies, you can see either the tail numbers or serial numbers, especially around the nose uh, nose wheel uh -huh. when those the doors open for the uh, nose landing gear. Uh, and you can look up those numbers. Uh, this, sometimes with older movies, it's difficult to find uh, just because records weren't as weren't digital back then. Uh, but I was able to track down this one. So uh, there's another airplane sequence that happens in Commando as well. Uh, so like I said, he goes back to the airport, which I guess is LAX, and he meets a flight attendant. And the flight attendant just so happens to be training to be a pilot. And uh, she hears his story about his kidnapped daughter. She at one point rats him out at a mall and all this stuff. But then she joins him and she's like, I'm going to help you find your daughter. So they steal, what's the proper term? A seaplane. They steal a seaplane together after it getting just riddled with bullets by these dudes on a Jeep. And uh, they take off in just a marina or whatever. And uh, she's like not super certain because she only flies Cessnas and she's never fl right. flown a seaplane. But Arnold seems to know, his, John Matrix seems to know his way around yeah, this plane he's really like, well. Yeah, he, he's the, they're about to crash into stuff and he's like, I got it. Yeah, know, it's like, gonna. We're gonna hit those boats. He's like, "No, we're not." And then he pushes, pushes more the, throttle. Yeah. Oh, he just and it like the plane goes <laughs> like it's. I'm surprised he didn't blow an engine. Yeah. Um. But also, why was I, I've never flown a seaplane? But why was she not taking off? If she's flown Cessnas, which I have flown, why is she not taking off at full power already to begin with? Yeah. Normally, it's like you give it everything to get. Yeah. Up into the air. She, 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 because they needed Arnold to, yeah, to, <laughs> to do, do something. Also, also, she yeah. didn't pull out a checklist to start that plane. Well, there was a Jeep with a bunch of, they were being dudes. shot. Yeah, at, but she's yeah. like, I don't know how to start it. I've never flown. It's like, look for the checklist. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she wasn't thinking straight because her life was in danger. Uh, and she was being kidnapped by this beautiful man. Um, I, I also noticed too that, uh, in that movie, gas like fuel is never a concern mm -mm. and she flies him like from that marina to wherever this like coastal place is that he does this you know brutal uh killing spree at and then she later on picks him up and then they fly off again together even though the military is there to help them out um yeah no fuel is just like it's just like bullets in that movie it's yeah. just not it's plentiful yeah don't ever have to think plentiful about it they don't really seem to matter yeah <laughs> Uh, so that's that again. This specific plane was a Grumman Goose. Uh, it was built in 1942. She did say this thing looks older than me, but it's like that's not unreasonable. Yeah. Like you fly a 1970 something yeah, or another. Yeah. It's old. Uh, but yeah, this at the time this movie was filmed, this was what like a 43 year old plane, 42, 43 year old plane. It's pretty old. It's pretty old. 
Um, and this specific plane was actually sadly destroyed in a hangar fire in 1999. Ooh. So oh. this plane no longer exists In either. 1999? Yeah. <gasps> that might have been the fire from Final Destination. <laughs> oh. <laughs> We're going to connect it all into the, the same black box down universe. <laughs> we covered a, an incident with uh, a seaplane similar uh, to this um, Grumman Goose. I believe the one we covered was a Grumman Mallard, uh, the Chalks Ocean Air. Yeah, uh, crash, and that specific seaplane in that we covered in that episode uh, was a very famous plane. That plane had been in like Miami Vice. It was in the George Michael Careless Whisper music video. Oh, wow, mm-hmm. uh, like very it's a celebrity iconic. amongst planes. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a very well known plane. Uh, the, and then we we did a we did an episode where we just talked about plane seaplanes. Yeah, we did. Which is a fun, I like that. I like seaplanes. I mean, seaplanes are cool. Yeah. Like how versatile of an aircraft, you know? Like, yeah. You can just land wherever. As long as there's water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I like how she called it. Uh, another thing that bothered me is like, she, they're going up to these docks and there's like all these boats, you know, you see all these masts and stuff clearly. And she's like, then they finally see the airplane. She's like, this isn't a plane. This is a canoe with wings. And it's like, you're at a marina. Like, yeah. Going, yeah. <laughs> what did you, yeah, you expect <laughs> to find here? <laughs> Was there a runway somewhere nearby? Oh, that's really funny. Yeah. Uh, it's a great movie though. I love, I love Commando. Lots of, uh, like murder very action movie one liners, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's just Schwarzenegger in that era, and, but I think yeah. this movie is like peak of that, like yeah. the, the Schwarzenegger one liners. Um, I mean, I think they were like, Man, whoever wrote it was like, We should just have a movie where we just give Arnold a bunch of one liners and just string it together with whatever plot. I, like, I, Commando is one of the few movies that I think I could probably just like. I, so, okay, so to set up the scene, you guys asked me to be on, I said Commando. Uh, I have a TV up my office by all my other like crafting stuff. So I was like sewing curtains while watching Commando, yeah. which felt like the two weirdest things, <laughs> like this super ultra masculine movie. And I'm just like sewing curtains for my girlfriend. Um, awesome. But I, I couldn't look away. I can't, I kept, I just like, it was just curtains turned out terrible, yeah, like, like, <laughs> but, but I kept quoting the movie because it's just so quotable and fun. Absolutely. And that soundtrack. Oh, the steel drums. Oh yeah. That, ding, 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 ding. Great movie. So, uh, so I, t- I've, if we want to move on to yeah. the last movie, I, I wanted to talk about Airplane, which is a movie I've been avoiding every other time we did these. Yeah. Uh, just because I knew it was going to be super dense with a lot to talk about. Oh, yeah. And it is. Uh, so movie came out, like I said, in 1980. Um, very, for me, a very influential movie as far as like my, uh, I watched it when I was very young. Very influential as far as like shaping my sense of humor and like comedic timing sensibilities. I think. Some parts of that movie, <laughs> if they remade that movie today, some parts of it would probably be omitted or done oh, yeah. or done differently. It's definitely a movie of that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting watching the intro to that movie because they show like the airplane and everyone arriving to the airport. Just like seeing, it's almost like a graveyard of airlines mm-hmm. that they show at the beginning. Like there's signs for Hughes Air West, Continental, Eastern Airlines, TWA. Like none of those airlines <laughs> exist anymore. <laughs> Uh, I bet it took you seven hours to watch that one movie. Just, it took me a pause. long time. Yeah. I kept pausing it uh, to write stuff down. Uh, one of the first gags for the film is like, you know, people are coming up to the airport and parking and you hear voices like the white zones for loading and unzo- unloading. There's no parking in the red zone. And it's like a man and a woman. And like the, the announcers begin arguing with each other about <laughs> where you can park and where you can't park. <laughs> Those were actually the voices at LAX at the time that Whoa. did the announcements. What? Yeah, they found the actual man and woman who were married in real life oh what yeah and had them record the the announcements for airplane so if you flew out of lax at the time it must have been really weird because you were probably used to hearing those announcements be like 
Whoa, what? That is That's incredible. wild. Yeah. Uh, that is crazy. It's a weird... And they were married? Yeah, they were married to each other in real life. They have great voices. This movie, this movie rocks. Yeah, at the real airport at the time at LAX, the white zone was for loading and unloading of passengers only, and there was no stopping in the red zone except for transit buses. I had to look it up. <laughs> One of the other early gags is, you know, walking through the airport, and they, re they revisit this gag later, and there's all the people handing out flowers or mm -hmm. wanting to talk to you about religion. Yeah, like religious folks, yeah. Right, and they say, some of them say they're with the religious consciousness church, other ones say they're with the Church of Religious Consciousness. Um, and that's very much a reference to Harry Krishnas, mm -hmm. who used to do that um, quite a bit at the time. And they were actually the International Society for Krishna Consciousness, mm. which is why they kept giving them these confusing names. Uh, they used to solicit in airports. It would give you a flower and then ask for a donation. They weren't the only one. There were also the Moonies and a bunch of other religious organizations. Oh, and the Moonies. So really quick on that, uh, they were allowed on the terminal because there wasn't a security line and you didn't well, have to have a flight before 9 11 you could just walk i remember as a kid you could just go straight you up could to the you could go up to like yeah where people would board mm -hmm. and then wait for them to to get off the plane you still have to go through security but yeah you could get to but the you gate. could go through so theoretically you could just hang out at the airport yeah that's so strange i guess that yeah no uh, big trouble in little china did that you, they go right up to where she lands so but uh there, there was actually a very long lawsuit uh, between the uh, Hare Krishnas and the various state and federal governments about whether or not they could legally solicit uh, donations the way they did at airports. Because mm -hmm. even if they couldn't go to the gate, you could think they could solicit on the public side of security. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, the, the, First Amendment kind of thing. Right, exactly. And the U.S. Supreme Court ultimately ruled against them in a 6-3 decision saying that airports are not a public forum and not protected under the First Amendment. Interesting. Mm, interesting. Uh, Did so, that set a precedent for anything else other than religious stuff? Like, I don't know. That's a good question. I only, I only looked at it in this very narrow scope. Yeah, sure. Uh, but yeah, this, this, and this was over many, many years. I, I, I read up on this. Like, they went state by state. They had lawsuits in New York, had lawsuits mm. in California, and uh, like ultimately, it all went to the Supreme Court. And you know, they were like, "Yeah, I mean, there's no further, no other place you can yeah. go." Uh, another interesting little tidbit I thought, like watching this opening scene when everyone's walking around, I don't know if you all ever no realize this, but no one has any luggage with wheels on it. Everyone's carrying all their luggage. Suitcases and mm. stuff, yeah. Right. Uh, because really, wheeled suitcases didn't exist yet. Mm. Like, they hadn't been invented, which is, <laughs> I see Chris's face. It's a really bizarre thing to think about. So I looked up the history of the wheeled suitcase wow. as a tangent to, uh, to this. You must have spent a long time watching it this movie. It took about seven hours to watch this movie. It's, a, it's a, like an 85-minute long movie. It took me like seven hours That's to get through awesome. it. I, so that, that is crazy. I never thought about that. Because Please, I want to know when, <laughs> when, were the, when was the wheel invented? Yeah, 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 yeah. Tell us about Wheeled Suitcase. I have so many questions now. So, so this movie came out in 1980. It started actually in 1970. It was uh, Bernard Sadow invented or uh, yeah, a traditional suitcase on wheels attached to a long strap. Uh, but it, was, it took a very long time for this to catch on because it's just like, a guy doing this. And in 1972, he patented this invention as rolling luggage. Uh, and it wasn't until 1987 that Robert Plath updated Sato's design by placing the suitcase vertically, like we think of them now, uh, attaching oh. two wheels and building a retractable handle, which we all... That's like... No, that's like... That's just how suitcases are. Well, still really quick, I used to work at Samsonite and I used to sell luggage in high school. And they did have that original design where it was a suitcase. It was basically laying uh, horizontally 
and it had a little like ribbon of mm -hmm. rope that that was what you, you used to it. drag. Mm. And I always thought it was the strangest looking thing, but I guess that was the original rolling suitcase. Right. That's that, like they, it was the the evolution of it. It's like you look at like the evolution of man. Like yeah, it like, starts to stand slowly up, right? starts to stand up and now it's on four wheels. Right. And, and <laughs> with, a, <laughs> with a retractable pole. Yeah. Yeah. So this one we're talking about here, what we just talked about, the vertical suitcase with two wheels and a retractable handle, this didn't come out till seven years after the movie. Oh, wow. wow. So the movie was 18, 1980. This was 1987. And then in 1989, demand for Plath's trademark rollerboard became so high, he moved operations from his garage to a warehouse. Mm. Just to put in perspective the scale we're talking about here. So 1989, up till 1989, he's still he working was, out of his garage. He was Etsy at that point. Right. <laughs> uh, wow. And in 1991, Plath retired from, the from his airline job to pursue Travel Pro, which is a, a company. suitcase manufacturer. It's the parent company of his rollerboard product uh, full-time. Um, what was the... And I don't know if you know this, and I'm sorry if you had to like go on a search because you're haunted by not knowing. What was the carrying capacity, like weight, for like an overhead or, or any of that stuff at the time? I don't know. I don't know that they really still enforce that to this day really it's about dimensions and how big it is mm -hmm. uh and i think they assume you're not gonna be able to fit 50 pounds into right. a 22 inch bag right yeah uh so really i think they try to uh police it by uh having regulations on the size as opposed to the weight because like but isn't weight a factor at all when loading a plane because there's a weight capacity yes and in fact we have an episode i don't mm -hmm. remember which one it is off the top of my head where we talk about a crash that happened because the estimated weight tables they used for people and luggage was out of date and mm -hmm. people had gotten heavier and were carrying more luggage. Oh, no. So a plane uh, was unable to take off because it was overloaded without I'm, them knowing it. I'm assuming this is an American flight. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was also a, it was like uh, up north in winter, so everyone had coats and, coats yeah. and heavier, heavier stuff. Clothes. Yeah. And it was a full, oh, I think they had more people on the plane than they. Yeah, it there, there were a lot of contributing factors, but yes, weight is a concern, and most airlines have basically like spreadsheets or tables to figure out what an average person weighs, how much luggage they're bringing, how many bags they have on the plane yeah. uh, to try to take all that into account. Wild. I, I, I am an active fitness enthusiast. I would not want to carry a 50-pound bag around. I'm no. surprised that that wasn't invented sooner. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's it really is surprising because it's not like people didn't have suitcases before planes. I think that maybe yeah. people were not like travel wasn't as accessible because it was so expensive. So uh -huh. it wasn't something you did a lot. Just didn't so think maybe, about it. Yeah, people didn't have a lot of suitcases. So they had trunks that were put in carriages and stuff, right. but not really carried around. Yeah. Right. I can only just get rid of this carriage. Anyways. Um security, we've already talked about this was really lax at the airport and mm -hmm. <laughs> uh in airplane. Um and everyone's going through, they're not checking boarding passes or anything. When Ted Stryker, like the main character, shows up to the airport, he's driving a taxi. Uh, and I thought it was really weird because if you look at the side of the taxi, this is not aviation related. You can see how much um, the fare was. Hmm. And it was 65 cents for the first sixth mile, then 10 cents every other sixth mile, which is a buck 15 for the first mile, then 60 cents every additional mile after that, which is unbelievably cheap. That's a hell of a deal. That's a great deal, uh, especially by not modern standards. Um, then of course someone gets in the taxi and he's like, I'll be right back. And he runs the meter anyway, and then runs into the airport yeah. <laughs> and he just takes off flight, you know, on the plane. And they, if we erratically throughout the movie, they cut back to the guy waiting in the back of the taxi, just like looking at his watch and like looking around for the, how long would you wait before? <laughs> I wouldn't wait to be like, what? No. Oh man. Um, and, uh, there's a scene where there's like a, a marshaler, an aircraft marshal, like a grounds 
crew person waving in a yeah a plane with his uh, flashlights, uh-huh. um, not using correct uh, procedures to direct that plane at all. Mm. Uh, you know, he kind of um, is is moving both lights in one direction for the plane, and someone asks him, "Where's the cart?" And he uses both lights in the other direction. And Blaine's demonstrating the correct way to do it. You put one hand in the direction you want them to go, and then the other hand goes over your head, waving back and forth to catch their attention. Yeah, that makes mm. sense. So it's like if you know if you want them to turn right and they're facing you, you stick your left arm out, and then with your right arm you wave over your head to get the attention, uh, or reverse for the other way right arm out left arm waving for uh, the other turn and a little bit of movie trivia or like movie connections i guess uh the main character ted striker is you know running into the airport and you see him um find his um his girlfriend or wife maybe girlfriend they, they're, they're, they're like ex-lovers clear, yeah. or whatever yeah mm-hmm. uh his love interest uh and they have a conversation in the airport and as he's running to to try to find her he runs past a mosaic tiled wall uh, and if you've ever seen the Quentin Tarantino film Jackie Brown, it's the same tiled wall from the credit sequence of Jackie Brown, where mm-hmm. Jackie Brown's it's going like through a long the long tracking shot. Right. Yeah. yeah. She's, she gets on like a people mover, like a moving sidewalk, and it's just like a long tracking shot with her being moved across the tile wall. Um, it's in the uh, underground in Terminal 3 of LAX. Just before mm-hmm. people movers? So the people mover didn't actually even exist in Jackie Brown either. They faked oh, it. Oh, interesting. Um, they, I believe it was a, like, they, they put her on a dolly. I think Pam Greer sat down on a dolly, mm-hmm. and then they uh, just kind of moved it and made it seem like she was on a people mover, but it wasn't actually there. Because I believe in Jackie Brown, they were supposed to film somewhere else. I, I went down a rabbit hole with this, and I think like, <laughs> that location ended up not being available, so uh, they didn't have a people mover, so they had to like come up with a solution to film. They got LAX. What was the alternative? Like, <laughs> the moon? I mean, that's... No, the- it was like another area of LAX. Oh, okay, uh, okay. okay. Uh, but then, like, there was a problem with dealing with the airport. Got it. Um, this specific plane in airplane, welcome to my hell, uh, was a repainted TWA 707. Uh, it was delivered to TWA in 1966. Uh, it was eventually scrapped. It no longer flies. I don't think any airline flies a 707 anymore. Uh, but it's a four-engine plane. Uh, one of the earlier Boeing planes, very an early precursor, really ushered in the jet age. Did they uh, shoot on this airplane, and then the airplane actually went on to be continued to be used, or was this a retired plane at the time? They continued to be used. They just repainted it to say Trans American, mm-hmm. uh, which is the airline in the movie, which should have been Trans World Airways for TWA. Mm-hmm. I'm just surprised because like they're they did a bunch of goofs and they're like spilling stuff. And did they, they actually pro- shoot? That was probably a set. A, I imagine uh, they built a set. Yeah. So you're talking about the exterior I'm talking about shots. the exterior, yeah. And Copy. again, you can see the serial number on the nose wheel uh, mm-hmm. on the doors for that. When, you know, Ted Stryker walks up to the counter in the, airpl- in the airport and asks, is Elaine Dickinson on this flight? And they look it up and they're like, yeah, she is. <laughs> can you imagine <laughs> asking, going up to that today and asking <laughs> if someone's on the flight and they tell you, yeah, they're here. That- uh, is wild. Though I, I could see it happening back then. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Then he says he wants to buy a ticket for the plane, and they ask him, smoking or non-smoking? Again, <laughs> we just covered smoking in, yeah. a, in a plane. No no more smoking on planes anymore. When uh, the, the pilots are preparing to taxi for the, to take off, there's a whole gag there, but um, they, they say, you know, flight 209 to ground control, ready to taxi. Uh, then ground control replies, 209, taxi to runway one to runway 19. So wrong. Uh, he would ask, you know, they would say they're ready to taxi. Ground would tell them specifically what taxiways to go on. 
they wouldn't just say taxi to runway 19. They'd say, mm. or they'd say runway 19. And then they would say taxi via Alpha, Golf, November mm-hmm. ta- to runway 19. Especially LAX because it's so sprawling and big. Also, there's no runway 19 at LAX. <laughs> the runways are 0624 or 0725, right and left for both. And then they all have the whole Roger, Vector. What's our Victor? Clarence. What's our Vector, Victor? Yep. Uh, this is stupid. And uh, you know, then, then uh, they're still talking to on the radio. They say 209, you're clear for takeoff. Departure frequency 123.9. Uh, LX departure frequency is actually 124.3 or 125.2. Not the correct frequency. And they would have been given the departure frequency when they were getting clearance earlier, not, not when they're clear for takeoff, yeah. ready to roll and mm. ready to go. Um, another bit of weird weirdness. Whenever they show the exterior of the plane flying, or you can kind of hear the background noise, it's always a propeller plane that you hear, even though this is a jet. Oh, the, oh the, yeah. The, uh, like a whining propeller. I wonder if that's sound. because that just was the sound you associated with it at the time. Like that was a more common airplane sound. By 1980, we're really in the the jet age is firmly entrenched. Mm. Okay. Uh, Maybe. What I, from what I understand, the people who made the movie wanted to originally set the movie on a propeller plane, but the studio insisted they do it on a 707. So they just kept the propeller sound. Huh. I, that was actually a little tidbit to, to quickly deviate. Uh, this was all, it was like guys that basically took a script from a yeah. TV show and then they rewrote, but they kept a lot of like the dialogue. So when you have these like really straight, serious performances, like it's, it was an original script for something else that they bought a, the rights to. It was a movie. To. It was an actual movie. It was a movie they, called Zero Hour. Yeah. They took the script of the movie and then it, they were worried that it was so similar that they ended up getting the rights to the script. For how much? I don't know. I don't know. $2,500. Wow. Yeah. What a deal. From, from Warner Brothers, I believe. Yes, I was a Warner uh, film. Uh, yeah, so some of the like really ridiculous dialogue is straightly lifted from Zero Hour. Yeah. Which is another reason that they cast a lot of very serious actors to play these comedic roles. Mm-hmm. Like Peter Graves, um, Robert Stack, Leslie Nielsen. I think this was Leslie Nielsen's first comedic Comedic? role really yeah uh, people thought of these actors as being like very straight very serious actors so that's why they hired them in here to kind of like create this juxtaposition because people were used to these being very serious very serious dramatic actors and now they're here like giving this very straight reads of this really comedic script and it almost like started a second career for leslie nielsen yeah well yeah i I feel like like most people know him as a comedic actor. Yeah, later that's work. all. That's Paul, really all I know him as. Drebin's, uh What's the what's the TV show? Poli- Police, Police Squad. Yeah. What's what, what year was Police Squad and all that? That's wild. Because uh, he's so good in this movie. Like, it, it, like the serious performances, and they're not like winking to camera and stuff like that. Like everything's played so straight that that's why this movie. That's works what so he's well. known for. Police Squad was 1982. Wow. So this really was predating all of Leslie Nielsen's comedic stuff. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Um. The overhead bins in the plane, uh, this bothered me. The overhead bins in the plane don't have doors. It's just like an open shelf and they put stuff up there. Oh. Is that inaccurate? I looked it up. It's actually accurate. Weird. That's the way they were in the 707 back then. Is there any netting or any straps? It didn't or? look like it. It was just like you put it up there. The, the interior of the plane was actually very authentic. So going back to what you were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. they may have filmed some of this, On if not all of it, in, in the actual plane because it looks... Very right. Like I had to look up pictures of what the 707 interiors look like for TWA, and it's very, very similar. Mm. I that's crazy that you just put it up there because it just seems like the it, stuff would be falling all yeah. the time. Yeah. Well, there's no wheels, so 
<laughs> it's a, it's a, lot more, a lot more stable. You know, they're, uh, they're approaching rough weather. Denver Air Traffic Control tells them to climb to 42,000 feet. They're flying from, the whole purpose of the movie is they're flying from L.A. to Chicago. Mm-hmm. So Denver tells them to try to climb over the, uh, the weather to 42,000 feet. Any long-time black box down, a listener will know. When you're flying east, you fly at an odd thousand altitude. Oh. So they should have been flying at either 41 or 43,000. The service ceiling of a 707 is 42,000 feet. So 41,000 would have been appropriate, but that's still on the high end. They mm. probably would have been flying like 39,000, maybe mm. 37. These idiots. <laughs> When the little boy Joey goes to uh, the the cockpit, the pilot played by Peter Graves, uh, what's his name? Over John Over. No, it would have been no. It wasn't Roger. It was Victor or Clarence. Clarence Over. Yeah, so, maybe Over Over. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, he hands him a, like a toy model plane. So we have a present for you. You know, you're visiting our. Uh, you know, for visiting the the flight deck, and it's a, it, the the model plane he hands him is a seven twenty seven. If you're, if you're curious, <laughs> I have to, I, anytime I see a plane on screen, I'm like, oh, I have to, what is that? Gus, they got there? I can sleep tonight. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell the 727. It's got, it's a tri-jet. All three engines are at the tail. Interesting. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You might also, you know, another tri-jet might've been like a, uh, a DC-9 or an L-1011. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So then what is that even, is it one down One here? in like, kind of like the, the vertical stabilizer at the base and the two side by side. Uh, kind of like an MD-80. Okay, okay. Um, so yeah, see, you joked. Now you know. Well, you know, yeah, because seven twenty seven all the time. I don't, I don't see many planes like that anymore. I feel no, like they're always yeah. on the wings. We also did uh, an episode where we talk about the rise and fall of trijets. Interesting. So going back to something we talked about earlier, when the autopilot named autopilot deploys, <laughs> uh, he very accurately has three stripes as a first officer. Oh, there you go. <laughs> he did a better job than final destination. <laughs> He's got three stripes on his shoulder and on his. Uh, uh cuffs. The cuffs yeah yeah which and if you haven't seen or don't remember it's an inflatable man man pot. yeah <laughs> yeah <They're> like <laughs> so it's like a, yeah a little blow-up doll um one interesting thing i thought is in the cockpit they have like uh you know all the instruments and everything and there's like a clipboard in the back of the cockpit there's an actual approach plate on that clipboard on the wall like i don't know what airport is for i can't see it's so small but i was like oh like that's what an approach actually looks like somewhere so I guess they must have found it and read it, put it up there for authenticity. Because airplane, very authentic movie. When Ted Stryker first sits down, he kind of like try, in the cockpit to fly the plane. He kind of like goes over everything and he's like checking. He's like, "What's our airspeed? What's our altitude? You know, what's our engines? What's our mixture?" You wouldn't check mixture in a plane like that. Mixture is normally used for like smaller, smaller prop? planes. Yeah, a plane like that would handle it automatically. And the even, mix- ba- even back then, yeah, you uh, well, I would assume so. I don't know, uh, just because it's a jet engine. Normally, on, on smaller planes or propeller planes, you manually adjust your mixture because as you go higher, there's less, less oxygen, so you need less fuel to compensate for that in the engine. That's way too many things to juggle at once. Yeah, so you kind of adjust your fuel flow to match the amount of oxygen. To Maybe keep a there's, ratio. there's an argument to be made that he was going through that procedure because he wasn't he a fighter pilot right. in originally? the war? The, the, the war, yeah, yeah. Also, the, the passengers were wearing in-flight, were wearing headphones to listen to in-flight entertainment. Uh-huh. And these are old-style headphones. I don't know if you guys have ever paid attention to them or seen them, where they almost look like stethoscopes. Uh, you put them in your ears, and like they mm-hmm. kind of like have tubing that meet under your chin, and then it goes down, and you plug it into the armrest. Uh-huh. Have, you ever, have you either you ever seen these? 
I've seen those types before, but I don't know. It's old. Uh, yeah. Wait, so when they first introduced uh, Leslie Nielsen's character, I thought, was he actually wearing he a stethoscope? Wearing, he did have a stethoscope, okay. yeah. <laughs> but later in the... What? Stupid bit. But later in the movie, they do show passengers wearing these headphones that look like stethoscopes. So is that not wire transmitting to two speakers? Is it actually they're pumping audio through a tube or They're pumping audio through a tube the speaker is in the armrest wow. and you plug the tube into the oh. armrest right next to the speaker oh. which picks up the sound and it travels through the tubes up to your that, ears that's incredible that's like some talk to my neighbor across the street like little kids like cans talking yeah, yeah. Cans. Hi. <laughs> that is crazy yeah I, I i only learned how these worked like a week or two ago and yeah. then when i saw it in the movie it's like oh i just read it this is what I do in my spare time. I just read about these that a couple is, weeks ago. I can't, I, that is blowing my mind. It's, it's weird. If you look it up, it's bizarre. It's also weird that they could hear those. Right. Because now, like, I feel like on a plane, it's hard to hear normal headphones right. that actually are projecting sound. But also like, wouldn't there be a lot of audio lead? Yeah, but I think or, they or, all, or just like the audio would spill out into the cabin and you'd be able to hear so I, much. I think it was so loud you couldn't, really hear sure. it but wouldn't they and wouldn't they back then have one thing that everyone watched right so it, it would just play it on every speaker yeah so it'd be playing on all of them so there wouldn't be like you know a bunch of bleeding of different noises sure. it would just be the one yeah like a drive-in theater yeah only a couple things left here um when they're coming into land in chicago uh you know it's foggy and everything and they're like you can't land strikers like Ted strikers no i need to land all these people need to go to the hospital what's that it's a big building with doctors inside um, <laughs> uh, he, as they're about to land, he pushes forward on his control column to, to nose down to land at the last second. Uh -huh. That's a big no-no. You do not nose down. You crash the plane. <laughs> so do you, you lower... If you think about you, it, you, even you, as a passenger, you, you're never like pointed down at the ground when you're coming in to land. You're slightly reclined back. Yeah. Because the, the, you, you land with a nose-up attitude, and you pull power, so the plane kind of sinks down and hits the ground. So and your gravity is landing the plane. Pretty much. Well, you, you reduce your lift and kind of balance it, like less lift with gravity, touch down with your main wheels, and then your nose wheel touches down last. Mm. Uh, that's why you'll, like, you'll, when you're landing, you'll, be, you'll feel like you're slightly reclined, and then you'll come up to sit. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, the back wheels always hit. Correct. First, or most, they should. They should. If you, yeah, if you land like Striker, <laughs> you, you risk, like... Or breaking off your nose wheel, or um, just like the nose it hitting the ground. the ground, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no, do not do that. And uh, last little, last little tidbit I noticed. I was very happy about this too. Uh, you know, at the end when everyone's evacuating the plane, they show the tower and the exterior, and there's a light rotating on top of the tower. Mm. It's an alternating white and green light, which is actually the color of lights at a civilian airport. If oh. if you're at the Austin airport and you're ever there. Uh, at night, uh, or you know, uh, before the sun's up, whenever there's not, whenever there's less than VFR conditions, is what they would say, or nighttime, you can see it. If you go through security and you walk up to the windows directly in front of you and you look like towards the south, you'll see that light rotating mm. white and green, and that just indicates it's it's a civilian airport. Um, I'm assuming it's one white light on one side and one green light, and exactly. it spins, but it gives the perception of flashing. Exactly. Okay. Uh, a water airport like Wusan Commando mm -hmm. uh, would have a rotating uh, white and yellow light. A uh, military airport would have two quick flashes of white uh, with green, and a heliport would have white, yellow, green uh, flashing. 
So just when you're flying, if you're looking for an airport and you see those flashes, you know, oh, there's an airport that's a seaport or helicopter, and you know more or less what you're looking at. Okay. Uh, so just a little tidbit. I think the tower they showed was way too small to be actually the O'Hare Tower. It looked like a tiny mm-hmm. little aircraft control tower, uh, but it did have the correct kind of light on it. Uh, the light at the Austin Airport's not on the tower. It's further south, mm-hmm. a little south of the south terminal. You guys covered Die Hard 2? <sighs> yeah, I did Die Hard 2. Okay, yeah. I, I bet that that one's like very flawed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there was a lot going on there. Anyway, that's it. That's my speed run of airplane. I, I took seven hours to watch that movie, so I could. <laughs> I don't know if that counts as a speed run. <laughs> I could uh, speed run it for you. It's uh, so good. Like, if you're gonna watch any of these three movies, I think Airplane's got to be the one. Airplane's on HBO Max. That's how I watched it. I don't know how what Commando's on Hulu. I think. Mm. Yeah, I think Final Destination, the bargain bin at Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Airplane's just like it's just like so many. It's high jokes per minute. It's just like one after another after another after another. I feel like it really was very influential, and a lot of other things very referential of it uh too even to this day yeah um but, yeah but it, like i said it's a uh, go if you're gonna watch it go into it knowing it's a movie of its time it's, yeah there's it's some, from 1980 some, there's some stuff that would not that does not go over well today i was shocked watching i was like oh man how did i watch this when i was like eight yeah, yeah. it's weird too like going back to the the hari krishna thing i feel like that was a running gag it's like oh it's these these guys it, that are constantly it's, they were so prolific back then and I, then I guess obviously, court but the filings j- made it so they couldn't. But it was like the joke that like abuse of the Hare Krishnas was funny. Like I feel like Airplane is one, but I, I think there's like, it's another Leslie Nielsen movie. I think it might've been like scary movie or something where he like punches a Hare Krishna or something. But it's also an airplane. It's later when uh, Robert Stack's character shows up to the airport. He's like, he's trying to get through the, the terminal and he's like moving people out of the way. Yeah. And he yeah. I feel like that happens a lot in movies. Yeah. They popularize that as like, oh. I think it was a, a common complaint amongst people. They, it, was, it was something they could sympathize with when they did travel. They, they knew that it was something they could expect. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Different well, times, man. Yep. Yeah. Uh, well, we're going to be back with our normal episodes. Next week. Next week? Yep. Yeah. And we also had a... Um, First class episode come out. Yes. So for those who support us uh, via Rooster Teeth First or just on, uh, you can do it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or go to blackboxdownpod.com and you can find out how to, you know, support the show directly for like $3. It's very helpful. Two ninety nine. Two ninety nine. First class? Yeah. That's who came up with that name. That's clever. This guy. That's great. <laughs> That's great. Uh, I love that. But yeah, so thank you for every, everyone who supports us on that. Um, and uh, and don't forget and, to check out Tales from the Stinky yes. Dragon. Yeah. yeah, if you're looking for something else to listen to right now, go look up Tales from Stinky Dragon. We it's should, great. We it's, should come up with another t- higher tier than a regular listener, like a like the stinkiest, the stinker. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll workshop it. it. Yeah, but yeah, highly recommend it. It's it's the Nat Twenties. Then yeah, there you go. Super fun for us to record, and everyone, we really yeah want you to check it out because we love making it. It's the thing I work for, look forward to the most at work and also we have these uh, incredible puppet videos that Chris and I both work on. Oh, actually, we have one that's actually plane focused. <gasps> that's right. That's co- oh, yeah. That's coming out. So maybe maybe we'll uh, we'll uh, cross post it on Black Box Down Social. Yeah. Because it's, 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 it's uh, me and Gus uh, in a, oh, all of us, all of our characters in a, in a little uh, <laughs> fantasy airplane. Fantasy airplane. <laughs> that Chris and I worked on that making we built. the airplane together. He <laughs> yeah. had a Mach 1 and I, I came and fixed up a few things on it, but yeah. very fun. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye.